0: You are listening to Building the Future, green building in the new millennium, brought to you by sustainablehomesofthefuture.com. I'm your host, Ian Sollenberger, and this podcast is for anyone that wants to collaborate and learn more about how to design and construct energy efficient buildings for an environmentally sustainable future. If you have questions about how to design and build with a lower environmental impact, or you'd like to come on our show as a guest, please email me directly at info at SHF, that's Sustainable Homes of the Future, shfbuild.com. Visit our website at shfbuild.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at shfbuild. Our mission with this podcast is to inspire you, our listeners, to go out and be sustainability advocates, share these ideas so we can truly push this industry forward. We need each and every one of you to help us Build the future today. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Building the Future Green Building in the New Millennium podcast. Uh, My name is Ian Sollenberger, and we've got a special episode for you today. Uh, We are going to be going through a sample uh, sustainable project. This is a single-family home design that that we did as part of the Sustainable Homes of the Future uh, brand. And you know, as always, this episode and the, the podcast is brought to you by Sustainable Homes of the Future, uh, Green Consultants, Design Build. Uh, let us know, you know if you have a sustainable project that you want to uh, be successful at, and we would love to help you in that pursuit. Um, today, I have Ginger Matthews, uh, as well as Drew Pedrick with me, and we're going to be talking about this, this project, the design for this project, and sort of how it came about um, and some of the sustainability features in in the project itself. So it's gonna be a great conversation. Um, Drew Pedrick is the architect of this design and Ginger, uh, developer and co-designer. Um, so welcome to both of you. There we Thank are. Thank you. We're all, we're all here Thank now. You. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for joining us today. Um, I'm really excited to, to talk about this. You know, it, it happened, I think it was five or six years ago now when you guys began this whole uh, rigmarole. So um, <laughs> yes. Ginger, tell us yeah. a little bit about how That's the well. <laughs> this single family home uh, project came about. Tell us a little bit about the site, uh, maybe some of the details, location, and why you ultimately chose that site for, uh, for developing this project.
1: Thanks Ian, yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, I'm a lifelong, a lifelong environmentalist uh, from way back in the day, and I wanted to do the right thing, environmentally speaking, for this development. And so I researched recent, recent trends, design, building. Yeah, you know, I was really shocked to find out that there was a whole movement out there ready to go for sustainability and green building. And I was just really super excited uh, to 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 learn some of the details and some of the upcoming trends in in that area. So um, I did an analysis of, I live in a luxury neighborhood here in Santa Monica. So I researched what buyers were typically wanting in a new construction here, which any developer would do. They would do a lot of research about the area, about buyers, and that sort of thing. So it happened. My favorite style, modern, was kind of up and coming in the neighborhood, Typically it was very traditional looking, kind of East Coast, Cape Mm Coddy sort of style, but modern was really, really emerging. So I saw that trend, that's my favorite style. So I just decided I wanted to purchase a teardown property and begin design work and see where it went. So uh, the goal of the development was 6,000 square feet of living space over that uh, 7,500 square foot lot, Five bedrooms, six bathrooms estate. state, believe it or not, this is actually typical for the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, it's pretty um, big. <laughs> it's
1: huge, it's luxurious, <laughs> It was difficult in the long run to develop that, but I wanted to develop it um, all sustainable. Net zero carbon, net zero water, net zero energy, I, but I needed an art architect to help me do this and develop the plan.
0: So, step in, Drew. Uh, Drew, do you want to talk a little bit about the site and, and the location and why it was perfect for for this build and and the the project goals that that you guys had?
2: Sure, sure. Um, I, I love it, and this is a project that's really near and dear to my heart. the The site itself, um, you know, when I came on board with Ginger, the site had been selected, and uh, that's usually the case. Um, but mm-hmm. in this in this uh, situation, I would say. Um, how great. Uh, we don't always say that about a site, but this site was fantastic. <laughs> so, uh, kudos to Ginger for, for, for <laughs> okay. nailing that for us to get the site. I uh, find you. a good one. And there are a lot of things about the site, um, and I'm sure maybe we'll talk more in detail as we go here today. But the site's location uh, being on the side of the street where prevailing breezes, where the angle of the sun rise and fall, um, all of the factors, even um, you know, that are environmental factors as we look at how a house, how a home gets situated and placed on a site and, and really works with the environment. But even the, the street itself, the fact that there's an alley for access, so service, the garage, you know, all of that is in the rear. The front is very pedestrian, friendly and walkable. And the the little, um, you know, the stores are a, a half a block away. So oh, wow. very good things that really... Mm-hmm. Um, Helped us, I think, in the very start to say, "Wow, you know, we can do something very, very nice, very memorable here."
1: Great so, neighborhood, absolutely fantastic neighborhood to to develop in.
0: Yeah, so so yeah. Ginger, I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, you know how you guys met, but you know Ginger's been um, sort of coming up with some ideas in her head, and then you come on, um, you know, you understand there's some s- sustainability. Uh, and, and green building mandates on the project, not only you know from, from Ginger as co designer, but also uh, the state of California, which I know we'll talk more about as well. So, you know, what did you bring from your architectural background that that you were able to really bring into this project and and influence um, in in a big way?
2: Well, I I'd like to think it's a lot of years of experience doing um, sustainable uh, design from across a wide uh, swath of project types or typologies as I would like to call it. Um, so, you know, bringing um, an understanding of what, what issues do we look at how we look at the program that goes into a project like this, which is, we might say as well, that's a number of bedrooms and, you know, number of stories and things like that um, the practical kind of side of doing a design. But the, the key, I think that I was, happy to be selected and bring on board was that we look at our work from a conscious perspective, which is that we look at um, buildings and homes from the point of view of how well they serve their people and how well they serve the environment. And so that gets into very technical aspects and very humanistic aspects. So mm-hmm. what I was, uh, you know, the, the initial discussions with Ginger about the project were so much, uh, so let's say symbiotic, you know, uh, similar goals in mind that uh, I mean, it just felt very natural. This is going to be a, a you know fun project and break some ground.
0: That's awesome. We wow, that um, good. What ginger? How did you and Drew meet? I understand it's a kind of a strange coincidence or a fun story.
1: Well, it was a rather strange coincidence, but if you believe in fate, then it wasn't necessarily. Um, I had interviewed several architects and actually hired one uh, potentially. And uh, just wasn't quite jiving, wasn't, you know, we weren't on the same page as far as sustainability goes, as far as, you know, the mandate that uh, we were talking about to make this as green a build as we can possibly do. So Mm -hmm. I knew, you know, net zero was coming down the pike uh, in California as far as regulations. Uh, according to my research and so we are we are an incredibly forward-thinking state here in California so I wanted to do as much as possible kind of get in front of it uh, do better better than the mandates better than the laws um, so it just happened one day I I'm very live very close to a Starbucks I met Drew there he was meeting with the client. And he had all his drawings out on the table. I'm like, well, why not? I'll just strike up a conversation, and I asked a few questions, and the rest is history. So it turned out to be we turned out to be an absolutely perfect team. So
0: you were so literally true. hunting for architects, and, and you yes, found one in the
1: local Starbucks. Boy, like, hmm, like that. Starbucks, <laughs> that's Starbucks, <Yeah. laughs> that's Starbucks right, right there by the, by yeah. the property. Yeah.
2: It's, it's been my method ever since it's been so, you know, works so well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Work it at says, Starbucks. <laughs> people, oh, like, I, I'm
1: like, oh,
2: Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I also think that um, what was fun was in talking with Ginger was that I felt like we, uh, McTeague, my architectural practice could bring process, could bring, um, mm-hmm. you know, could help to introduce team members to help to introduce the, the, how, the methodology and the how-to and the steps to take into this so you know it's a conceptual uh creation but it's a really specific endeavor too right and you know, create all these details and drawings and
1: Absolutely. calculations
2: right and title 24 all that stuff we'll get into but
1: uh, oh you know, i know it it's highly technical work you do incredible and design um beautiful as well so-
0: and Ginger, did you do you know any kind of uh, study beforehand? You said you were looking at real estate trends and kind of you know market trends and things. Um, you wanted to go with the modern, a modern feel. But as far as uh, the program that Drew was talking about, you know, basement amenities, pool, things like that. Um, where did you come up with with uh, your ideas for that?
1: That was really an evolution, Ian. Um, you know, there was no set uh, design agenda when when uh, Drew and I started working together. Uh, I, I We pondered these questions like, should we have a basement? You know, should we include solar panels? At the time, it was not necessarily as accepted as it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was more expensive, a little bit more costly. So it was, you know, always having to manage budgets and things like that. But over the course of a couple, well, a year and a half of development and um, actual doing the drawings and the engineering and everything that came with it, which I had no idea what was coming up. You know, Drew did, of course. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, all this is, oh. mind expanding how much there is involved, but just the design of it was just evolved. You know, there's a question on the table. Should we do a basement? Should we not do a basement? Well, you know, there's a lot of considerations on that cost. What's in the neighborhood? What is mm. being developed for the you know for the general neighborhood, which is basically maximizing the square footage by putting a basement in. That was the final decision there.
0: Yeah, because basements haven't historically been a huge uh, thing in California. That's that's a that's a recent trend.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, there was there was also uh, you know huge 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 discussions in the beginning about whether we should uh, renovate the current house. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember way back then, Drew, but that was the first question on the table. And we did a lot of studies on um, what it would take to renovate the little broken down, you know, horrible looking, you know, thing that should have been demoed right away. Or, you know, that would have been a challenge unto itself. So uh, we probably spent months just talking that consideration over.
2: And we did that. Um, you know, and now, well, yeah, Thank you for you know for going back in mm-hmm. that part of the process because we did that very purposefully mm-hmm. from a mm-hmm. sustainable point of view to Absolutely. say it's uh, you know it, it's not only uh, materials that exist on the site, but there's also the story, there's the history of you know uh, of these homes that were built in this neighborhood, mm-hmm. like so many. One-story little ranches, yep. that 1930s. Had small 30s. rooms, and a little kitchen. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, no
1: light, no, you know.
2: You know, eight-foot ceilings, which seem so low today. And oh,
1: I know.
2: And we could have, we could have, in fact, told a story that built us, built around all that. And what we were finding through the process was, was that in fact that was a very inefficient way to create the overall program. Hmm. Not too surprisingly. Um, the overall agenda was in fact to, um, to better capture, which they didn't do in those days, better capture the light, the air, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like water conservation and uh, oh. you know, resource reuse, all of that uh, led us to the question of whether that program, that existing house stays or not. And then mm-hmm. once we decided that we're not going to keep that house, then as we, you two are just saying, we began to talk about going down and Ginger, if you remember, um, part of going down was in these tight lots where we're constrained. Where do we put the mechanical rooms? Where do we put the spaces oh, that, that we'd rather not question, actually yeah. have in a place that takes valuable real estate? Let's go down.
1: Right.
2: Then we realized the other side, which is so great for, the, for potential owners, is that we could add more open space in a sense. By not just looking at it horizontally, but looking at open space vertically. So mm-hmm. we could create a light, you know, we create light wells down yeah, into this we, lower level and drive light down in and allow mm-hmm. for natural air airflow air mm-hmm. to, to work because we had created these open spaces down below where in the evening, the air would be very cool. And we could take that air and bring it up through the house and cool it down you know, as the day, went mm-hmm. on, like a day like today in August, when it's warm, we could be taking the cool air from the basement and pulling it up through the house, natural cooling.
0: So Drew, so, kind of what you're talking about is, uh, you know, passive energy, right? And, and, and mm-hmm. passive uh, site design and passive design. Um, yes. Is that's, that, a whole, did you guys that's a whole do... two
1: hour discussion right there, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just exactly. for the one house. Yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> did you guys do any passive energy analysis um, and and if, and if so i 'm assuming you did, but and if so how, how did that influence the design or what were the things you were looking for um, pre design there
2: we we did um, we did analysis we did analysis from a few different pers- perspectives so on the on the back end of our analysis, um, we did the technical piece, which was what we would call title twenty four calculations mm-hmm. right so we so we started with uh, a design f- um, informed analysis, meaning we, we looked at it diagrammatically, um, we studied the site, we studied the region, we looked at, um, you know, we looked at prevailing breezes, we looked at all of the things that were going to deal with our energy consumption, and even our water consumption, and, and, our, our, and our drainage across the site, high point over here in the rear, low point over here in the front, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. those kinds of issues, we really studied the whole site, so that we could do, we could look at it from a, a, a natural perspective, and then build in, as we did our three D modeling, build in the results of looking at different forms. Like, should the house sit over here? Should it sit there? Should it be a block? or Should it be, a, a, you know, a linear? Um, all of those different forms we then studied with uh, solar studies, and uh, you know, then we went, we looked at it from the, from the, you know, the vertical axis as mm-hmm.
1: well. Yeah. all that
2: culminated with us saying okay now we can take these things to the engineers and have them do calculations and, and feed that back to us
0: nice so, so it was a little more conceptual at first and then and you kind of narrow down to okay these are the specific analytical studies that that we want to do
2: and and literally- Yeah. for instance we we actually looked at whether we slice across the house <laughs> make two houses um, huh. we actually studied that for a while to I say don't remember that
1: part. <laughs> that <one. laughs> maybe,
2: that was, maybe that was
1: in your head. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just possible.
2: kidding. Um, we, we looked at it because, um, and you see, uh, you know, for looking at the video of, of us today, you know, the house is behind me, right? It's a long mm-hmm. house. And so, right. because it's long as you're walking down, um, essentially an, a, an, a second floor arcade, a hallway, should we cut across that so that we can open windows across and get breezes across there or not? Mm. We got the cross breeze other ways, but we really did study how do, we, how do we put this together sort of from a clay model point of view and how solid is it and how, how permeable and how open is it?
1: Mm -hmm. we we really studied the natural environment and tried to work very very closely to bring that you know feeling into the house of just being a place you know the the house has a place in nature and in its city and it fits well and it's a great example of how to use sun solar studies uh wind studies and we did a feng shui uh we had a person come out and do an analysis on the site and give us some suggestions as well. So, you know, I, I it's such a beautiful area, so take advantage of that in the building as well.
0: That's great. And and so before you got to any, you know, city codes or or anything like that, you'd already done all all of these initial uh, initial studies talking about landscape. I assume um, maybe even. How you were going to use water? You mentioned um, you mentioned you know looking at the site and how it would drain, but did you think about water capture or water reuse or um, you know plants and and those sorts of things as well? Did you bring in folks to, to work on that with you?
1: Absolutely, we we hired a, a landscape architect who was very very uh, into what we were doing and very supportive of that. And Santa Monica City mandates kind of a drought tolerant uh, local sourced plants and that sort of thing. So we had some direction in that sense, but we, like I say, we wanted to push it further, uh, and do as much as possible, uh, as far as water conservation goes. So I don't know, Drew, you can talk about the gray, gray water system a little bit that we instituted. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure. Yeah. Well, we look at, we look at water, the way we look at uh, other, you know, other uh, resources, um, w- which, which is um, how are we using water that's potable that, that we're getting out of a pipe into the house, into our homes? Mm-hmm. How are we looking at water that's coming down from the sky and you know, raining on our, our, on our property? Um, and and when, we're, when we're done with our water, specifically the potable water, where does it go? And so you know, today we're much, more, um, much further down the road in terms of technologies and systems and approvals by cities for what we call gray water, which is some of the water that's being used inside the home uh, has uh, only certain products in it, certain soaps and things that can be uh, filtered out, right? Mm -hmm. So we can capture that part of the water flow in the house, right, And, and filter it and clean it to a level that it can be used, not yet for potable water, although technically today we could, but from an agency point of view, not approved. Certainly, so at that time we were doing this. Not approved, and we could hold that for a while and then use it for our our, our lawn. Uh, our I mean, our sorry, our plant watering, not lawns today it's so much. Um, yeah. So we could use it that way. Lawns
1: are out on the way
2: out. Yeah, which is really
0: yeah. important, you know, in in a climate like ours here, which is very, uh, you know, drought specific. You know, we mm-hmm. get we get a month or two of rainfall uh, in the winter, <laughs> yeah. if that. And, and then, you know, there are other areas of the country that have 50, 60 inches of rain a year. And I think I think in California, we in L.A. specifically, we get somewhere in the like, maybe we hit double digits, 10. Maybe,
1: yeah, 10, 12.
0: Um, yeah. and, and it's all in that same, you know, January, February, March period. So for the rest of the year, yeah, being able to use the little rain water and the gray water that, that, do, that you are able to capture and clean and reuse is super important. For conserving the potable water, so that's awesome. Yes, absolutely. There's
1: there's rainwater catchment systems too uh, installed, it, rather in a conventional way. I think we we went round and round about how to maybe push the envelope on the rainwater capture part. We ended so, up with a standard kind of a system there, but you know it was built in. So,
2: so what we do with the with the systems, especially as we were designing this house, is you know we we can capture the gray water inside the helm's use. And we, at the time, we could only keep that water for 24 hours. Hmm. So we could clean it and we could keep cleaning it. But we and had then, to had dispose to it. of it and use whatever we could, right? Yeah. But whatever's yeah, left in the tank, we, had to, we had to pump that out. So every day you get a fresh allotment of gray water, but then you have to get rid of it.
1: That's kind of and the old school, right? That's the old school right there. You have to dump it out in 24 hours. Right. So we did try to push the envelope on that that so the gray can, water system, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: So so that that aspect of it um you know it's coming along. Uh the thing that we um we we did not do um was we did not capture rainwater in a way that could be stored and filtered and used. You know, for whatever purpose on the site, and that was a that was a decision that we went through, um, kind of ROI and you know financial analysis as well as others to say, is there enough rain? As we we're just saying, is there enough rain? Yeah, is, and is there going to be enough rain? <laughs> and, and keep, yeah. So we did not do that because we felt that it was
1: not the, the time for it.
2: So I that's, think that would so have
1: that's... made a different decision though at this time. We'll I'm talk about that harder. later Ginger.
0: hold off on that we'll talk about what we, what we would do different at the end here let's uh, let's plug along we so I
1: might forget that <laughs> um, Go
0: ahead. So we'll, we've been talking about water but I definitely want to get to energy um, and, and what sort of things you guys did on the front end. Uh, for energy analysis and energy modeling, um, what were the what were the mandates? You know, California is a bit different than a lot of other a lot of other states when it comes to energy modeling and energy analysis. Mm-hmm. So, um, w- what was done on the front end there?
2: Well, I'm going to ask Ginger to speak because Ginger was, <laughs> in many ways, was uh, you know co-designer, but also client, and she was very particular about energy <laughs> and what to do. <laughs>
1: Well, I, you know, I see it as the number one issue to to tackle and it's a very complicated issue at that. So, um, and you know, the, the easiest way to prove your net zero house is to get that energy analysis done so you can implement these changes or, you know, differences from normal building. Um, but one of the things that, uh, I think I was a little naive about was that, you know, our, we just hand our engineers the drawings and say, okay, give us title 24 analysis, energy analysis. And we didn't, you know, we didn't, I was stumbling around a little bit, uh, trying to figure out, you know, how to seal the envelope and, uh, you know, conserve he- heating and cooling, what, what should we do? We still have some questions outstanding, um, you know, as far as energy goes. So, uh, but we we didn't really push the envelope necessarily as much as we could have and, and hire consultants to come in. We tried to do it ourselves and we did our best. So, um, you know, I think we could have gone a little further <laughs> with it uh, just to make make a better, tighter, you know, more efficient house. But that's that's then and today's today. So we'll, you know, our next project we'll, we'll design it like crazy.
0: And what did you learn? Did you learn anything specific from, from the energy modeling then Ginger, when you got those results back from the engineers? Like, w- was there something that su- surprised you or, you know, uh, maybe was, a was different than, than you thought you were going to have to do design wise?
1: <laughs> well, we didn't, I don't think we anticipated the triple pane, uh, controversy there. So you triple can pane talk windows about that. Are we talking about? Yeah, triple pane in a mild climate like this, it was just, it was out of the box and shocking. But Drew, you can talk about that yeah. uh, specifically, technically.
2: <laughs> we <laughs> Well, I, I want to go back for a second on um, the, the energy discussion in general. And, you know, we were talking a little bit ago about the modeling that we did before we went to the engineers. And um, we look at energy um, first, obviously, from the point of view of, what it is that we're building? What are we creating? How, how big does it need to be? You know Those issues which drive the, the quantity of energy required of a mm-hmm. home. And, and then we can look at it and say, okay, well, what really requires energy and what does not? What could be done passively? Mm-hmm. What could be supplied mm-hmm. from a renewable source? You know? And, and mm-hmm. that, so we're looking at from that point of view, that's like, okay, well, we need some energy here. Uh, where are we gonna get it? That's the, that's the one. Um, the other is, um, to Ginger's point, is um, how do we maintain an, an envelope, an environment for people living there that's comfortable and meets, you know, meets California, meets regulatory you know, requirements, right? Yep. And so we had um, these two worlds that we were balancing. And the one world is, and you can see a little behind me, let a mm-hmm. lot of light in. know, and by letting a lot of light in, we're also opening ourselves up for ventilation. That'll drive, that'll that'll take some of our energy costs down because we're naturally ventilating Mm -hmm. and we don't have to turn the lights on. We have all this natural environment. The downside of that is we also have to maintain, um, we have to maintain the environment, the envelope from solar radiation, from heat gain. Mm -hmm. So that balance in the phase that we were in, in the time we were designing this, led us to three panes of glass with tinting and gas-filled to qualify, to meet the criteria. Um, we would look at that differently today, as Ginger oh. pointing out. You know, okay. we, we would yeah, think about this somewhat differently. We might think about how much glass, we would look at technology today, mm-hmm. and we would look at the analysis tools that are available to us. Because I, I think Ginger and I are on the same page about thinking Uh, that's crazy. You didn't really need (laughs) three panes of glass everywhere. (laughs)
1: Right. Right. But
2: that's what it was at the time.
0: And, and, am I, am I far off in thinking that, I mean, when I'm hearing you talk about this, it it sounds like, you know, a process where on the front end, you're looking at, you're doing the site analysis and you're, you're trying to find out, you know, what energy, what, uh, what availability of resources to some degree you have, you know, right up front and, you know, before you're even coming up with a site plan or a design, and then you have the design and then you're sending off and you're using the tools and the energy modeling and then coming back and then sort of going back to the passive design. So it's almost like you're looking at passive design twice, once to sort of say, what are we building? And then a mm-hmm. the second time to say, okay, how can we, how can we power this or how can, how can we get mm-hmm. energy for this? Is that, is that a good uh, sort of estimation of, of that process?
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, I don't know if you've ever th- um, thrown clay. If you ever somewhere ah. in your schooling, mm-hmm. right, made a bowl out of clay, right? I think
0: once, yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: You have a lump, <laughs>
0: you got right, it's spinning
2: around. It's and you go, okay, I'm going you know, to start to create the shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you look at it and you go, well, that's, that's, that's not, not right.
1: Great. All right. Yeah. And
2: what do you do? You collapse it back together and you get the air out of it because you studied it. You thought about how you're doing it and then you, mm-hmm. you start to shape it again. And that's a lot of what design process is. It's a little like, in a sense, trial and error, although it's much more yeah. sophisticated than that. It's, it's a
1: process, like, right? It's a process. It's a process.
2: Yeah. So yeah. it's back and
1: forth. And you, you find out things through experimentation that you maybe didn't know before, and discard them, and discard that idea, it's like, okay. But I think we had a clear mandate just basically to make this the most sustainably energy efficient water efficient house on the face of the planet. That's pretty much, so that was a hard, hard thing. That was a hard goal for sure. We tossed away a few things. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Yes.
0: Well, you know, we've, we've discussed site analysis in, in, uh, a few of our previous podcast episodes, um, sustainable site analyzing project location and environment. So if you haven't listened to that one, take a listen, it'll get you started, uh, you know toward this process that we're talking about um what were ginger what were some of your favorite features of the design if you had to take a step back and just say you know one one thing that you really or one or two things that you just really no matter the cost you were like (laughs) i'm gonna do this because i need
1: this i I need this this feature i have the the privilege of being the client and co-designer so i can Just throw everything to the, yeah, okay, I'll have this, I'll have this, I'll have this. Well, you know, as we were discussing before, it was an evolution of um, ideas and design. And so up to the point of actually selecting the windows and selecting the actual materials for the house, um, you know, energy efficient windows was one of the top priorities. And so we put a self-tinting... I don't know how else to describe it technically, but it it has it it shaded and lightened according to the heat gain mm-hmm. and helped to passively you know energy around the house. So and I just thought it was beautiful. I thought it was the most incredibly beautiful uh rendering that you can see on our renderings. If you look on the website, you can see the whole the whole project. So uh that was one of my favorites. uh and That was also, just on the
0: just on the exterior windows, or was, was did you? This was
1: no. I, in, I'm looking at the design exterior. behind
0: Drew there, and I see like you can't. It looks really like s- a skylight almost on top. It goes
1: from the front door. Can you see the windows going up from the front door? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then it goes along that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very for- much. <laughs> along the stone wall, it goes up the stone wall, goes all the way back to the back of the house and down to the back door. So this huge expanse of self tinting glass, triple pane, mm-hmm. which is a pain for me uh, cost wise. So, uh, but it was just beautiful. It was just, that was one of my favorite features. And that's a design feature as well as a sort of a technology marvel in a, in a way. You know, it was brand new. I'd never seen anything like that before.
0: Well, one of the neat so, things I it, think about sustainable, like... sustainable building is that, and sustainable design is the, that what you're saying that you get two, uh, two things for the price of one, <laughs> even if that <laughs> price is a little bit higher, um, yeah. you know, so it was you, energy. you get the design and the aesthetic beauty of having this really, you know, cool exactly. architectural element, but then it also serves a functional purpose as well. Um, Absolutely, yeah.
1: we're always we're always thinking about uh, occupant com- comfort, and you know, prevailing uh, winds and you know, passive energy was a tremendous opportunity for that self tinting glass to be very passive. We also That's had awesome, clear story yeah. windows, clear story, and and automation yeah. was always in the back of our mind as far as trying to automate the house as much as possible so that the passive energy was. You didn't have to think too much about it. The house just kind of performed on its own. So,
0: Drew, did you It'd have be, any uh, any favorite features in the design that are similar or different?
2: Uh, yeah, many. <laughs> <Love the house. laughs> I know we can go on. Can you choose? To, you can you choose one or two or three? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, just to continue a little bit what Ginger was just saying, um, you know, part of uh, part of having this glass house, it's partly like. A house—it's probably like a glass house, right? And when you have a glass house, you know most people want to have some way to not be seen from outside, right? So, um, what you don't see in the rendering behind me is that there is a lot of automated window treatment. So, mm-hmm. and, and that's yeah. controlled through the automation system, as well as if you just want to go, you know, close the curtains, you can do that. Um, so, opening and closing windows—you know—clear uh, stories that that are um, out of your hands, arms reach. So they motorize, open and close, mm-hmm. and they're temperature dependent. Or you can override, say, I want to have some air come through. So those are those are some of the features um, dealing with the openness of the house. Other features, um, you know, for instance, from a sustainability point of view, are really how we dealt with the envelope otherwise. So the wood that you see behind me is what we call a rain screen. It's mm. actually a surface outward. From the actual house, so there's a skin that you know has the insulation behind it, and it's water you know proof and all that. This material, this wood, is stacked outside of that, and what that allows us to do is for the, for air to flow behind the wood and cool the house. Just as just as <laughs> you know the, the airflow around the neighborhood at, at, in the evening is you know breezing through right prevailing breezes that air is now allowed to get behind the wood and cool the house that much more. Um, It also keeps it dry, so we don't have that much rain. That's pretty cool, Um, yeah. So when when it does rain and we get some neural downpours, um, that water is trickling down behind the wood and drying away. So we're wicking the water away from the house and cooling (laughs) at the same time.
0: Does that also serve the function of not having that rain really interact with the wood as much
2: absolutely right 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 because each of those boards has a space between it and the next one so the water is dripping off of one onto the next and then down off and that's yes that's what the skin of a house does um but every one of those joints if you do it normally you know conventionally is a way for the water to wick like a straw back behind inside the joint and then it sits there so you you know you hope it dries right. Yeah. Here exactly. we just pulled it apart and let the air flow behind it. So yeah. So and, it, 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 it would works last for longer. This
1: environment works for this environment. That's for sure. It's a dry, dry environment here in general. It, yeah,
2: it would not work very well in a you know northern climate no. with freezing yeah, exactly. and thawing and,
1: and you know, yeah you have ice
2: damming in there. and It would just pull the wood apart.
0: Well, Here it's like it it's like if you go to a northern climate, you need to wear a coat, and in California, most of the time, you can you get away with a sweater.
2: Things. Right? You want to have like a little breeze, you know? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of that wood, uh, what you know, I understand some of the the wood and some of the stone that you chose for the the, the cladding and the exterior uh, were pretty specialized and and specifically environmentally friendly materials. Um, yeah. Can you can you talk a little bit about some of those materials and, and how you made decisions about the materiality or regional sourcing, those kinds of things?
1: Sure, sure. Uh, so- Yeah,
2: go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, and uh, um, so several layers. One is, um, you know, where does wood come from? And is it uh, FSC certified, um, which is forest, uh, forest certification? Um, the, that sourcing, of course, we wanted as many materials as possible to be within 500 miles of the project, not always possible. Right. So where that wasn't possible to do, we wanted to make sure that it was sourced sustainably, and that there was a renewable component to it in terms of the processes that were used to create it. Now, it's it's one thing to do that with wood, which we could say, okay, western red cedar. You know, we can do FSC certification. We can make sure that it's that they're growing more and replenishing. Um, fairly straightforward there, which we, we nailed that, of course, but stone is a little harder, right? You can't say, there's no FSC certification for stone, but we can <laughs> say, what is a stone that um, takes the least amount of resources to obtain and deliver to the site and what feels the most natural to hear and what lasts the longest in this environment? And, uh, you know, and so we can list the factors that are the, the, sort of the, the, the most benign Mm-hmm. Environment, um, mm-hmm. and we ended up with with two stones. One was um, travertine, and mm-hmm. uh, old as time. um yeah. you know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're in Italy, you'll see it all over the place. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> wonderful, warm, solid, uh, beautiful, beautiful stone. Yeah, mm-hmm. the other, which is of basically the same family, which is the limestone family. Hmm. which is sourceable in the U S and there's wonderful limestones out of uh, Texas, for instance. Um, and so we could be outside 500 miles, but we could find a stone that was beautifully, you know, uh, uh you know, harvested, so to speak, you know, out of the quarries and brought to the site and used. And That's so, cool.
0: Yeah. Um, Ginger, I'm going to ask you the same question, but I wanted to insert a little anecdote here. I, I, a year or two ago, I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and if you've ever been, every single building in town is built out of granite, and that's because there's a huge amount of granite yeah. in that area, and so, you know, it, it's cool that probably people weren't thinking necessarily about sustainability. They might have been thinking about just cost and locally logistics short, and saying, easier yeah. Like, to
1: maintain or to obtain, yeah.
0: Exactly. So if you're ever through Sioux Falls, every building is made, well, almost every building is made out of granite. It's kind of a neat idea of, of regional and, and local sourcing there. Um, it's so
2: great because it actually does seem like it's not an easy thing to do, right? To say, yeah, let's go dig a hole in the ground and find that granite because it's a big a hole. <laughs> and then, you know, uh, sawing granite is a lot harder than sawing a tree. Right? This is true. <laughs> but that's, also, when that's the material you have. Then it makes sense. Yeah.
1: There's also a, um, a component of trapping heat in that particular stone Mm -hmm. so that it's actually energy, it's actually part of the passive energy process is to capture the heat in that massive slab of stone so that when it gets cool at night, you're actually maintaining a more even temperature and need less, uh, you know, HVAC and all the stuff that we were trying to eliminate from the the design, which was the part of the goal, I did want to uh, just jump back really quick, and before we move forward, um, so we we installed five zone heat heat pumps in five zones. Speaking of energy, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, and there were, we made a very conscious choice not to install air conditioning. So I thought maybe you could talk about that a little bit, Joe. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we we actually uh, for a long time we thought let's just ventilate the house and heat it, and just you know just go that route. Um,
1: That's where we ended up, though. that's I don't think we changed that.
2: um, The heat pumps. um, The the thing with using the the five heat pumps is that we actually have a built-in way to reverse the cycle, which is you know going from cool to hot, and then you, you know you know using that heat blowing air over it, essentially mm-hmm. now you've got hot air, warm air, and, and use that through the house. The, the process reverses, and so we can cool it. So out of the same piece of equipment, we can do two things. So it's a little bit of a freebie in that sense, right? So then, okay, well, we've got this piece of machinery, we're gonna have five of them, you know, they're,
1: and yeah, they're discreetly
2: located, so you don't see them very well, yeah. uh, the oh, zones, yeah. <laughs> and, and very controllable, um, but it allows for an owner to say, but I do want to have air conditioning. In fact, you know, and not use the passive. Uh, that's their choice,
0: mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and that's possible mm-hmm. because of the technology. Because traditionally, you would you would have needed um, two different systems as far as like HVAC. HVAC. Is, is that correct?
2: Yes, and you know, with most of the homes and, and, and most of the residences, I would say in California, like. Like where I am um, today, my apartment building, we don't have any air conditioning, right? Because oh, Southern right? California, yeah, yeah. And so you know, right it's a little warm too. today. <laughs> but we, but we have, yeah, we have wonderful like sliding here. doors, and uh, we open and close, and so that allows for those cool air currents to come through when we, mm-hmm. you know, as we need them. Um, so it's more, it's a sort of marginal issue as to whether or not we really want to have or need to have cooling, and so. Um, We wanted to allow for both in this home.
0: Yeah, if you're planning on selling the home, then obviously you don't want to, you know, cut out a a big chunk of your (laughs) potential demographic (laughs) that would be purchasing it, yeah.
2: Right, and so somebody could take a control system and say, you know, this is, uh, like in the summertime, you can set your temp high, right? So by setting it high and saying, but I want my windows to open, so, you know, system, open and close them, Mm -hmm. you're doing that, there's no AC. But at the same time, you could, you know, somebody else could say, set my room at 63 degrees and keep it there. And
1: that's what you get. Yeah. That's, well, yep, technology, that's, that's a huge subject. But also I wanted to, I don't think we mentioned too, that uh, the entire site is powered by solar energy um, you know, on top of the passive energy strategies that we implemented. So uh, the, the property would be considered net zero which means that you're generating enough power for the number of people who live in that particular project or house. Um, In a year, you are actually generating enough power to cover all your needs. In other words, you have basically zero need for the grid. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was the goal. Uh, So solar panels, per our estimations, per our, all our, original analysis was, you know, the way we had designed the solar panels uh, was going to to cover it. We also included Tesla battery storage in the garage. Uh, looking forward to kind of where we are, we're at more today than we were back then, that was very forward thinking. Uh, and that do really that. does
0: speak to what you were saying, Ginger, just now about not needing the grid at all. Because if you didn't have yeah. that battery, then you you still, even if even if over the course of the year the net was zero, there would still potentially be times throughout that year that you would be uh, using more energy and still needing the grid. But with that battery, you sort of circumvent the 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 necessity of that of the grid. Really,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly. Absolutely, yeah. So that was, I think, very forward thinking for the times anyway, you know, to think about getting off the grid, energy grid completely being net zero energy, net zero water. Uh, so, you know, the technology wasn't really quite there. We'll get into that conversation um, to, to make it work seamlessly. Um, but we also instituted, there was a pool. This is a luxury development. So we had a, water, a, a, water, a heat pump uh, to heat the pool and uh heat pump water heaters as well so a a solar heat
0: pump right you were you were operating off the solar for that solar hot water
2: um yeah so the what you see the flat roof you see just above my head the white (laughs) right behind there is um you know is a set of solar hot water uh, panels right so that's actually water flowing through pipes through the solar collector and so the water's heating up and it's then going over to the rear of the site and down and over and heating the pool. A um, little bit distant, but works fine actually. And it allows you to, to use that. That was a city requirement, but it was also um, something that we were gonna do anyway.
0: Well, speaking of uh, heat flowing through pipes, you guys had radiant flooring. You designed radiant flooring into, into the design, right? As well? Mm-hmm. And was we that- did, did that did. Does that incorporate or integrate into that? Um, the solar heat pump for the system. pool at all,
2: or is it a separate system entirely? <laughs> separate system, separate system. No um, the, pool, the, the pool actually, by code, needs to be separate. So, Interesting. Okay. So we had to like that's a whole system of its of its own, and the pool, by the way, is a spa. It's it's not a it's not a big lap you know giant lap pool right. It's sized for the site, mm-hmm. but even that size, we want to make sure that it had to have you know temperature. Um, uh, control to it um but the radiant heat was selective inside the house it wasn't everywhere but we did it selectively right. for bathrooms comfort. yeah yeah and we you know we Master used an electric streets.
1: system mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: so we were powering the radiant the electric radiant system from the solar panels nice. so that's you know like free power from the sun coming down and warming mm-hmm. your floor even in the bathroom and uh the spa bathroom in the basement we could still have radiant down there right (laughs) from the sun is what's actually heating it it just happens to go through a wire to get there
0: (laughs) and i imagine too that because of the climate zone that we're in here in california that having the radiant just by just by having the radiant flooring um in a couple specific areas that probably cuts down on the amount of times you have to use the the actual heat pumps because you it doesn't get Mm -hmm. super cold here it's never below freezing so you know, if, if all you're looking for is comfort and, you know, to have your feet be toasty and warm, then, uh, you know, you might not even have to turn on the, the heat pumps at all.
2: Very true. Yeah. Absolutely true. Just,
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Just, um, Ginger, uh, what were some of the, you know, the other things we talked a little bit about VOCs and, um, locally sourced stone and wood, but what what are some of the benefits? I mean, we're talking sustainability here, so it's not just about the, the materials. It's, it's also about the supply chain and, and some of the, the backend stuff, uh, when it comes to, to sourcing. So what, what were some of the things you learned about, about sourcing and about, um, you know, lowering carbon footprint during construction uh, related to to some of those materials?
1: Well, yeah, I, it really was a consideration I'd never, I'd never thought about before in my life, you know, like, where does your product come from? How much, Carbon dioxide, are you pumping into the air to get it where it's supposed to be going? And uh, there's also the performance over time of the building, too. I wanted to mention that as well. Um, As far as sourcing goes, you know, closer to the site, as as Drew pointed out, um, you know, the closest we could get was Texas, but it wasn't Germany you know, right. so...
0: Or Italy, yeah.
1: <laughs> or Italy or uh, some of the other more well-known limestone places. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and just uh, there's a red list, I think maybe even Ian can tell us a little bit more about the red list. Um, so we tried to avoid toxic materials and toxic everything uh, from that. So.
0: Yeah, we have we do have a materials episode. Uh, I believe is episode eight, so check that one out. Um, we talk a lot about the red list in that one, as well as in our carbon episode, which was episode seven of season one here. So, yeah, we're this is kind of a fun episode to do here because we're <laughs> it is uh, conglomerating all of our Summing ideas from <laughs> from the whole, the whole season together. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah,
1: right. This is the real the real deal here.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to go to water next, but we kind of tackled water at the beginning there. Um, I'm wondering. Yeah, let's let's move on to automation here because that was a big part of, you know, big part of what we talk about. Integrated design um, is figuring out how different systems in the home can work together, uh, and obviously we have the Internet of Things. Um, there are ways to sort of plug in and play uh, with, with those devices. Uh, I won't mention any of the names because she always uh, then responds to me uh, in my house here. Her name starts with an A oh, and rhymes I'm with Palexa. Um But so anyway, just talk about where the overall vision of the automation came. Was that a function of, like I said, trying to integrate all the systems or was it, okay, we're in a luxury market here. So we, you know, people are going to want to be able to activate things, you know, via uh, an iPad or their phone or, or whatever. What were some of the considerations there?
1: Well, both of those, absolutely. Um, You know, just like I mentioned before, it's a kind of a a luxury market. I think we live in an incredibly progressive area. So people would be very accepting of the automation of the house, which it's a little bit of a complicated technological marvel in a sense. So having to run around and try to do all the, you know, the shades and the Clear stories and you know controlling this and controlling that would take your entire day. So, as a former tech producer, my goal was to incorporate a, a beautifully designed technical marvel as well. Uh, that did not work out actually. At the time, there was really no system that was was able to kind of take over these brand new systems uh, and and operate them and monitor them. But that was the goal. And so there are little metering systems for, say, the gray water. uh, So you can measure that. Uh, And I think that's the most important thing is just being able to see what your energy consumption is and maybe have a few automated features, security features around the property. Uh, it's, it's, It's on the way as far as full automation of a house like this. But uh, at the time we were struggling to put it all together and it was very expensive uh Crestron system that we investigated
0: okay i was going to yeah. ask you actually yeah which ones yeah. You, you sort of tried out or, or looked at well
1: see that's really the only uh system out there that can that can kind of tackle tackle this kind of complexity but it's very much like ibm mainframe you know you can't touch it you have to have a technician out for every single little thing it's very complicated uh, so, and expensive as well. And it's it
0: looks expensive. like a big server, right? I mean, you showed me that picture of it and it's mm-hmm. it's like a full like server stack mm-hmm. almost.
1: Server stack almost like. takes up a whole garage just to <laughs> get the mechanical on there Yeah. Uh, as far as keeping the house going. So I, I kind of identify that as old school and, you know, apples and Alexa and we'll come up with some simpler homes, you know, home connection. Open source stuff would be great. Everybody gets working on that computer Mm code-wise. That'd be great.
0: Drew, do you have anything to add as far as um, those systems, or uh, you know, what maybe you guys weren't able to explore um, that that might be available now, or um, you know, how was that process as far as the automation goes for for you as the architect?
2: Yeah, there were. um, You know, I think that from my perspective and the work that we do. for a project like this with Ginger, is to, um, you know, our goal is essentially to end up with a project that feels very natural, that it doesn't, that it doesn't take a lot of hard work to do something, as as Ginger said, like, you know, to go around, spend an hour opening and closing everything, and then you have to do it again, you know, something that that, um, supports your life, or supports your work, if it was an office project. So, Mm -hmm. from our point of view my point of view it 's um, it's really looking uh, for me it was looking at those kinds of methods, and I think we really got far I think we got really far along and I think much further than it, than many other homes at the moment we were doing this design so I, that was very pleasing to me um, you know but I'm, yeah i'd love to see us get to more intuitive control systems that are easier and take less space. And, and the heat load that comes from, by the way, that server stack, that's just yes. a that heat source. So thanks I a lot. I know. Yeah, that's you know true. <laughs> uh, get rid of that.
1: That's another consideration. Um,
2: so that comes along. And I think, you know, the one thing I think of that wasn't really there and it's still formulating, and that's atmospheric water generation, mm. which
1: mm. would
2: really be great to, uh, to do. And in terms of. Um, ginger's you know when we're talking about um, water uh, uh, sort of net zero water right? right that's that's the holy grail so to speak right it's <laughs> is to generate our water from the atmosphere which we can do and and, and I have a I, I'm doing some things with people right now and have been where we are you know using equipment like that um, so to do it at scale for the water needs of a home that's what I'm, I'm hopeful continue to evolve and um, evolves from a cost point of view. So it's affordable to do. And then we wouldn't need the city water. Just, that's you know, incredible. Yeah. And our,
0: our water yeah. episode was uh, episode five, I believe. Um, and, and I think we talked, you know, in a big way about on um, Use, reuse, generation of water, and then in our energy episode, we focused a lot on on-site, you know, energy production and capture and use. And you know, really, what what we've tried to do as a podcast and, and as a company is say, hey, these systems will eventually—I mean, literally, ten yeah, years from now—be necessary. Mm-hmm. And oh, the yeah. more we can add them into projects now, the the better we are infrastructurally, when it becomes clear to everybody else, that's not us, um, that's listening to this podcast right now, that it becomes clear that that is the future. The, the future of energy and water is, is on-site, you know, generation, use, reuse, and not having to rely on these super expensive and often faulty uh, municipal systems, um, or yes. private or, or,
2: or public.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you, so you 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 get sad.
2: to where where we would think of it as micro generation, right? Mm. Exactly. What mm-hmm. you need is I love
1: that word. <laughs> you know the
2: primary system, right, for water or power, right? Where uh, your utilities um, is on site is is your own property. What you do with it, you're you're living in something, but it also makes those for you or or captures them for you. Mm-hmm. So then the utility, the the, the community system as opposed to the individual system is the fallback. Right, right, it becomes the the It's
0: emergency response, you know, more than anything
1: else. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's the idea. We're
2: we're approaching it, you know, all the time. We're like, you know, inching closer as we go. Uh, We had a very interesting discussion, uh, Ginger, if you remember, with the city about about well water, um, that the city of Santa Monica at the time and I know if they still do, had no had no um, legislation that prevented people from drilling a well on your property. And
1: some really? did in the neighborhood. They, they admitted,
2: they, they told us that because they were doing it for their own right. city hall, right? They're like, no, oh, we're drilling. <laughs> oh, right, right. um, oh We're getting your water. Oh, we're we're just drilling a hole and going down to the aquifer and right.
1: You know, in this there. environment, yeah, there is a water uh, basis down there below. The us. So that's yeah. where our municipal water comes from, is locally, just happens to be in Santa Monica.
0: And that's not yeah. a problem for, uh, I mean, we're, we're in a big time Weird, fault like- zone, earthquake zone here in Santa Monica. That's <laughs> that's not a problem when it comes to drilling drilling <laughs> for water versus fault lines.
2: I, that's probably another done, episode. Really yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the <Right>. seismics of, <laughs> of doing that. But yeah, there's a lot of issues. Like, you know, we found, um, we, We couldn't keep the gray water more than twenty four hours, right? That was one. We we couldn't really do comp, you know, composting toilets because you could do it, but you would have to have a you'd have to have a non-composting toilet anyway. So the the
1: Santa Monica City Hall that's being built right now has both of those. Yes. So that's today. Here, here we are. A couple years ago, it wasn't even heard of, real or wasn't allowed because it was. We, we couldn't keep the, the water longer than 24 hours in case there was bacteria buildup and then you have your kids and your dogs in the neighborhood and they're, uh, you know, getting sick or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, we hired the city's uh, water consultant. He came out, designed a system where we could store longer than 24 hours. I can't remember what, if there was an actual number on that, how long we could keep it. Uh, But that never worked out. The city didn't quite get it. And, you know, so it was, we were just in a forward thinking mode and nobody else signed on. So,
0: Well, in a, in a backward thinking mode here, what (laughs) drew talked a little bit about, about automation. um, But what would you do differently? um, If you were going to either do this design over again or um, a new design, different site, maybe even a multi-use building. I mean, what did what did you guys learn about sustainability through this project that you could um, bring to to future projects? Ginger, I'll, I'll ask you first.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I I really feel like I've been through the through the weeds with both past and present uh, status of the sustainability movement in the building field. And you know, Drew is such a reliable uh, cohort here that. I feel like i can rely on on him and the the camaraderie we've built over the years and uh so you know i would just reach out to our community and and you know if there's ever any questions or any developments that i need to know about there's also a community out there so you know our podcast series hopefully we're creating a a a group a, a building enthusiast group uh there's also youtube YouTube channels and Facebook, and be sure and catch us on Instagram as well. So you know that's that's what I do. Reach out.
0: Nice. Um, I understand that you guys did uh, briefly consider a prefabricated um, construction process mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at some point during during the design. Uh, what what came of that? that? What mm-hmm. what did uh, what were your uh, conclusions from from studying that process.
2: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in from a design point of view. Uh, first, um, you can almost see behind me the modular quality of the home we did. It was, it was almost a natural to look at it um, in the later stages of design and say, what would it take to, uh, to take this um, stick built, you know, essentially custom built home mm-hmm. and turn it into something that's factory, offsite factory built. Um, mm-hmm. Not too much, actually. Not too much. Yeah. These elements mm-hmm. actually could, you know, each be uh, essentially a box on a truck delivered to site and stacked and put together. So the process of uh, of doing that would have been to take all the drawings we did and convert over into it and coordinate with the factory. Um, there's some redundancy when you do that, and this may not be the podcast to go into those details, maybe. But, um, but you know, you, you've got a box that's got to have four corners that can be driven someplace. So right. when you put them together, mm-hmm. you end up with a little bit of extra uh, structure, you know, but okay, small price, maybe. to pay. So you lose
0: an inch here, an inch there, that kind of thing. Yeah, you might lose a wall
2: thickness here and there because, got it. you know, you're going to have like a double wall when these two boxes fit together. Mm-hmm. But uh, but those are sort of the means and methods of it, right? The The concept of it would... Would be something that's, I think, still very worth consideration. You know, if we were to take yeah. this design and and go forward with uh, with a modular version, I, I think it's you know eminently doable and an interesting, you know, an interesting design study to convert over to. it.
0: And part of what makes that possible was your initial desire to have a a modern home, Ginger, a modern design, uh, because that is, uh, if I, if I'm correct here, that that is. <laughs> An easier translation over to prefab than than other uh, other types of design. In
1: some ways, yeah. um, In some ways, straight lines and you know more angular. Maybe it'd be hard to envision a Spanish build or something or traditional even in the prefab model, (laughs) but. And, you know, there's this whole cost savings aspect to the prefabricated building as well. You wanna to speak to that?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, from what I've learned about prefab and from my discussions with folks in the industry, um, you know, the, they bill it a lot of times as, you know, oh, you'll you'll cut, you know, it'll be less expensive. But what they don't really explain, and, and you learn when you go a little bit deeper is that most of that cost savings is uh, not necessarily because it's going to cost less. I mean, you're still using the same materials. You still have transportation costs. You still have design costs, all of those things. So you're not really cutting down costs per se. What you're cutting down is time um, because it's, it's what, you're, what you call a dual site build. So you can be uh, digging your foundation and pouring your, um, your sustainably sourced concrete, <laughs> which doesn't exist. <laughs>
1: That's um, <the> <laughs> yeah. You could,
0: you could pour that while the factory is building the, the modules and then mm-hmm. everything gets shipped in. So you're, you're doing a couple processes at the same time. Therefore, something that maybe would have taken, you know, 18 months or something like that, you could, you could shave a couple months off. Um, that helps you in holding costs. That also then helps you if you're selling the property, then you, have money earlier on in the process, so you know, there's a couple different sort of. Uh, I hesitate to say cost savings, but like uh, cost optimizations, uh, I suppose. <laughs> with with prefab, Drew, do you uh, agree with uh, that oh, summation? I totally there? agree. We've
2: been we've been looking at <laughs> yeah. modular for for uh, you know a number of projects, um, and it is in fact it's always that question of of are we as you just pointed out are we actually saving you know a net construction cost reduction mm. or is it um is it a time reduction which results in you know the cost of money and the other factors and the cost of the cost I'll of labor keeping a, a, a you know a team of labor project, yeah. you know construction exactly. managers you know on site right for that much more time so um th- yeah there are definitely there are a lot of reasons why it's good to do and there are sometimes where you might say um you know modular design is the last thing we want to do here and uh, you know, we want to do a house that's, um, you know, circular and fluid and, you know, mm-hmm. you might say that Which this program is like, well, less, you know, less so. But this is a very good example of a project that could be done from a larger point of view. Um, what, and, and especially you, in a neighborhood like this. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, what you can't really see in the image behind you are the curves that you just alluded to. There's actually a curved wall in the back. The uh, kitchen area is a curved kitchen, so structurally it might be a little difficult in spots to do the prefabricated model, and and that came in kind of late in the design phase, really, as a question or you know consideration. We'd already kind of completed our design as a stick build.
0: Well, I love uh, that you're you're thinking outside the box, though. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> or inside the box, I guess. Related future projects,
1: future projects. Absolutely. Start there. Start. Yeah, with the I assume, yeah,
0: I assume that now, you know, you've been through some of these hoops, you've, you know, considered some of these elements, uh, you know, a few years back. So to do, you know, moving forward with other projects, you've got all these tools in your belt now, mm-hmm. and you can sort of pick and choose and say, okay, because of these mm-hmm. elements, because of this design, uh, let's let's use you know X Y Z instead of A B C, um, and you know was there anything else? I guess just to sort of sum up, like what was the biggest thing you learned um, from this process that that you would want to to bring into a future development or a future build?
1: Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Jim.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, uh, well, first of all, I, I think that I think that the learning on this um, had as much to do with creating the working relationship, which we did, Mm. um, you know, than than the actual project itself. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. to me, what is so important to the success of of anything like this that we're doing, any endeavor, Um, is the people. And are they, Mm -hmm. you know, is everybody aligned, right? Mm -hmm. Ginger, we went through, um, we went through some team members to see if they were the right team members, and mm-hmm, so where mm-hmm. we where we uh, arrived was a team that we felt really good about and strong, and um, you know people had this, a similar set of understanding and goals. Um, mm-hmm. You know their their sort of foundation and direction was was compatible and worked well, and so that's the that's the biggest thing to me that was a carry forward. the The house itself, as we have talked today. If we were to do this today, it's it's going to be different because of technology, because of materiality, mm-hmm. because of codes, and you know the zoning. Let's say in in this particular neighborhood, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
2: all kinds of factors are going to are going to be different. Uh, that's just natural uh, evolution in time. But yeah, uh, having the right team together is—I uh, mean—you you can't short that. <laughs> Not at all. I'm so glad and you brought that the up. Best. I'm so glad you
1: brought that up. Yeah, we—it's yeah. a, it's a tough slog. You know, you have to find the right team. That has the right energy and the right connections and the right goals and mandates, you know, that actually understand what we talk about when we say sustainable building. And, you know, that was a challenge to find the right people. And, you know, harkens back to our first episode we ever recorded called the Design Charette, which is all about mm-hmm. getting the designers and all the interested folks at the table in the very beginning, you know, mm-hmm. getting them, yeah. getting that teamwork.
2: I have a shorty, uh, shorty story, and that's um, with the structural engineer on this project, who was a wonderful design, a wonderful engineer. Um, and we had, Ginger mentioned earlier in the podcast about doing feng shui to do a, an analysis from that point of view, right? Yeah. So when uh, David, our structural engineer, came in with the initial design, that huge glass spine that goes <laughs> up and over, down the whole length and down the rear. Um, when he, when he came to us, he said, okay, it's not a problem. I've got it designed. So here it is. And so we looked at it and we said, David, we have a huge problem here. And what? And he said, and I said, so, um, all that frame you have supporting the glass has these cross members to create make it rigid. Right? (laughs) So we have a series of X's all through the house. That's terrible feng shui.
1: (laughs) Oh yes. And he
2: he said, Oh my God. Oh my you're God, right. you're right. He got so it. So he, you know, a structural engineer knew that that was something not to do. And he said, uh, no problem. Mm-hmm. We're going to make moment frames out of this. It's going to be rigid. And uh, so he was on board totally for things. Yeah. Which and he. He, an engineer.
1: he went with some of our bigger demands or, you know, maybe out, out there kind of demands. Uh, yeah, he knew exactly what we were talking about. And that's coming back to a great team. You know, we, we just had the most spectacular engineers and uh, structural people and advisors. Yeah. I mean, it was just that's amazing great. how everybody, yeah, was on the same page. It took a little while to filter through everything, but it's worth it. I was going to
0: say too, yeah. I mean, getting the team <laughs> together is step one. I assume communicating the, you know, project goals and sort of the the overall mm-hmm. vision is... Is definitely step two. Talking are,
1: things out, you know, talking issues out. Yeah. Both technical and design.
0: And Coming up yeah. with with new ideas and innovations. Mm-hmm. That's how marrying
1: it all together.
0: <laughs> that's how this this whole space. That's how green building began. Was people saying, you know, we can do this in a better way. I've got an
2: idea. Let's try it. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. That's right. Have a vision.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: And, and people and who roll share
1: Roll with it. it. <laughs> take your time and roll with it and do the best and, you can
2: and sometimes you know you, your the vision is a kernel of of an idea and you really don't know yeah. where it's going
1: for me right yeah, so there's I a lot of trust gotta... in
2: this and to, to ginger wow, yeah. I, I always yeah. like to say you know thank you <laughs> for trusting because <laughs> you did a lot of trusting there I did <laughs> so a lot. we, we took a concept did. and made it real
1: yeah what a journey what a journey I'm Such pleasure to be on that journey
0: with you so well it was a pleasure to have you both here today um you've both been on the podcast before so hopefully our (laughs) listeners will recognize your voices and or faces uh from from previous episodes but yeah it's been super fun just kind of hearing hearing the back and forth hearing you know the the vision and how it was executed and uh, really appreciate you guys having time um if anybody's listening wants to check out um an animated version of, uh, of the rendering behind Drew there. Um, you can go to our sustainable homes of the future YouTube channel. Um, and you can check website it out. Too. And we, it's on yeah, the website. It's on the website as well. Uh, shfbuild.com or sustainable homes of Um, check us out at SHF build on Facebook and Instagram and, uh, yeah. Happy, Happy building to everybody that learned something, hopefully from today's uh, discussion. And thank you both. Thanks
1: for joining us, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your participation. Thank you as
2: well. Thank you very much. Have a great day, everybody.